This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness, and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. I would like to welcome onto the podcast Daniel, who has gotten up very early in the morning to talk to us from Russia, which is amazing. Thank you so much, Daniel. Can you please uh, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself and your teaching journey so far? Sure, not a problem. Good morning. Uh, I'm Daniel, and I'm the head teacher of the secondary division of a small international school in Moscow. Um, I've been a teacher for just gone three years in January. Um, I went to university in Brisbane and did all of my um, professional experience uh, for um, my degree in both Brisbane and in Western Victoria, um, both at state schools and at um, Catholic schools. Yeah. Um, after that, I moved straight to England and taught geography there for about eight months and then moved on to Russia, where I've been ever since. Uh, and I've taught everything from English to history to geography to philosophy, theology and ethics. And now I also teach media studies wow. in public schools, private schools and big ones, small ones, Catholic schools, Christian schools. So um, I've, I've done a lot of different things in a very short period of time. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you have crammed an awful lot of different teaching contexts into, you know, just a, a short career so far which is amazing yeah yes just looking back at it um I, I do appear to have done quite a lot in a short time I didn't realize it sounds like that with that breadth of experience um you will have really probably accelerated some of the learnings that some people uh in their careers take several years maybe decades to to gather if they're sort of staying in the one place at the same school you've had a lot of different experiences there what would you say would be the highlight of all of that uh, the highlight is, uh, it's been, I've got the chance to work with a group of kids now. It's now the third year I've taught them and just watching them go from a group of year 10 history boys, they were two boys. Um, and I'm now teaching them an advanced level in year 12, um, is quite nice just to, just to be able to see the progress that they've made and to work with two really lovely kids. Uh, and I will work with them, um, until the end of year 13. So I think that's I think that's one of the, the nicest things I've had the chance to do. Yeah, building those connections over a little bit longer term, which I guess would have been a bit challenging given that you you have had a number of different uh, teaching locations even. And uh, so from the highlights to the lowlights, uh, what challenges have you faced in your teaching career so far? Um, I think the biggest challenge I've faced is not being taken seriously. Um, I think the first time I went into the classroom as a teacher, I was 22. Um, and then I, the kids and parents then just didn't didn't sort of take me seriously. Uh, and at that time, I probably didn't have the amount of support or the, um, the that I needed um, going in as, as a newly qualified teacher. Uh, I was teaching in a situation where um, the head of the department um, – was away for about a month 
and that I was just sort of left on my own in this new school in in England. In a new country. Yeah, yeah, fresh off the plane. Wow. I'd been in the country for a week, and I sort of, I was in this school of about a thousand pupils. Mm, and a sink um, or swim. And it, it really was. I remember at one point I was desperate to try and get the attention of these kids um, because they were almost running riot. So I jumped onto a table uh, <laughs> and talked from there, uh, talked from standing on top of a table for about half an hour just because it was, it was the only thing I could think to do to try and get their attention. Um, going from that to also not being taken seriously when I became head of a secondary school. Uh, I was only 24 at the time and uh, it was sort of clarified for me one day when a parent came up to me and said, you're too young to deal with me, um, uh, which is never a pleasant thing to hear and you really just want to snap back with some very, very witty or um, insulting remark, but you can't. You just stand there and smile and say, well, um, yes, I, I understand how you feel, but Th- this is how it is. Yeah, this is that's my right. school. Uh, I am uh, the person in charge. Uh, so that was that's probably been the biggest um, hurdle I've had to deal with. Just a bit, bit of lack of support in some areas, particularly when I was teaching in England. Yep. Yeah, and and especially being you know fresh off the plane, as you said, you know in England, you, you're dealing obviously also with the the culture shock of moving overseas and all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how yeah. did those challenges, so the the lack of support, the feeling of not being taken seriously, and you know even having parents say to your face that you're not you know not old enough to deal with them or not old enough for the for the job? How did that impact your you know your mental health and well being? Oh, I was infuriated always, 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 and you you can't show that. Because it, because then it just sort of it almost proves to the person that yes you are too young because you can't control yourself yeah uh, and so I just remember just smiling like a madman uh, and uh, being as as professional as I could and I think I sort of went from speaking like a twenty four year old to speaking like someone from a Victorian novel just trying to um, sound like I belonged in the role and also trying to confuse some parents as well. Yeah, um, you had to get some credibility. So, yeah, so it, in many ways I just had to remain as professional as possible and to kind of not internalize it, I think you'd say. You'd just, those sort of problems, you wouldn't let them show because then that, that would be your undoing and then you'd just sort of go home and scream at the wall or something like that. <laughs> so when you went home, did you, other than screaming at the wall, um, did you have any other ways of, I suppose, disconnecting or um, letting some of that go so that you could refocus and build yourself back up to remind yourself that you are, you know, you are good enough to be doing that job or you wouldn't have got it in the first place? Yeah, of course. No, um, definitely. I think the biggest thing for me was being able to process what had happened and um, not so much for someone to give me feedback on it, but just to be able to talk about it so that I've gotten it out of my head then, and then I can move on with whatever tasks or whatever I'm doing in the evening, if I just happen to be going out for a run or something like that. Uh, I can go home, talk about it with my partner, and then move on. <laughs> yep. So debrief so, and and, um, yeah. and get a little bit of maybe some a little bit of outside perspective from another person, but then n- not 
focus on it for the rest of the evening. Mm, uh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great approach to have the self-discipline to be able to let that go at the end of the day. That's, that's very useful. Yeah. It took a lot of work, I must say. And, um, one, of the, one of the other probably small challenges of being in an international school is that your community is very insular. I, my Russian is not very good. So you are limited to dealing with um, your, your friends who you inevitably work with. Um, so it becomes a very, very small community. And the biggest thing that you have in common is that you work together, that you work at the same school. And so inevitably, every time you go out to dinner or you do something social with friends, inevitably the, the conversation turns to school or the complaining turns to school. And so sometimes you are living in this tiny, tiny echo chamber where you're just hearing the same stories uh, from different perspectives. Um, so that, that can be quite challenging and that takes an enormous amount of self-discipline to, um, to move away from um, the constant talk, the constant reminding that um, this happened or that happened. Or Yeah, so true. Um, and I think that's pretty common in general that, that um, people who socialise with people that they work with, you know, the conversation inevitably just turns to work but I can imagine if especially if you're in a a situation as well where you're in a a new place whether it's a new whole country or a small town where um and living in teacher accommodation again it's that same idea you're so right in saying it's insular just just only socializing with those people from work can be wonderful because you everybody gets it but at the same time Mm. yeah there's no distance there so amidst all of that um, how do you maintain your well-being? Do you have a, a particular set of uh, practices that you prioritise in your life, in your week, in your day to try and keep yourself as you know healthy and mentally and physically healthy as possible? Um, I used to have a very, very good regime of, of sort of processing and keeping, keeping my distance and moving on, um, which has gone slightly askew this year, but I'm attempting to get it back. I used to run an awful lot um, every day, about four or five kilometers, and I found that that was one of the best ways to um, move on from something, all uh, the way of processing it, because you, you turn on a, a podcast, you turn on some music or something, and then it's just you and the podcast of the music for about 45 minutes. Um, out in the country air usually, um, which I thought that was my best way of, of processing things and then moving on. Uh, unfortunately, due to the weather in Moscow at the moment, that's a bit difficult to do. Um, it's minus 22 um, yesterday, so I can't do that at the moment, and, um, and I think I'm suffering for that and not being able to get out there and run, so I need to join a gym and um, and get back to doing that because I found that was one of the best ways that I could deal or or look after myself um after school um there's always a processing of of, you know jokes and events and things and complaining to friends but really the best way i found of um looking after myself after school was was exercise yep it's so good physically obviously it's you know good for our physical health but absolutely the 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 benefits of exercise on mental health. And as you said, you know, also it's a bit of a pattern interrupt. If you if you stick yeah. some music or, or a podcast in your ears and you, you just completely disconnect from whatever else was going on that day and inter- it interrupts those kind of looping thoughts, can, it can be, yeah, mm. wonderful. What did you find to be some of the challenges of moving away from your home 
town or your home country to start your career? Were, were there any extra challenges there that you think are particularly related to the fact that you were in a completely new place? Um, I, I probably went into it very naively. Um, in my head, I, I, I left and I never intended to come back to Australia. Um, I think in my head I thought that. And at the time, I, I, I got incredibly homesick. Uh, I moved straight to a small town in South Yorkshire um, where I was, I was the novelty, I was, you know, the foreigner, so to speak. Everyone was lovely and it was, it was a good job, a hard job, but a good one. Uh, and I probably didn't realise just how much of a culture shock there would be. I'd been on exchange to the UK before, I'd been, I'd travelled there as a tourist, um, but I was a bit naive about going into working there as a professional, as an adult. Um, it was just not, um, it wasn't quite like how I was expecting it. But it was fantastic experience, but I, I just done it naively. And I know my sister is about to do a similar thing. Uh, and I, I said to her, she's a, par- a paramedic looking to do a similar thing. Um, and I just said, you, you said it hits you every now and then that it is a two-day journey home. Uh, and that as, mu- as much as home annoys you, as much as you don't want to be home, Australia, so to speak, um, it's a long way away if something happens. And you don't always have that, that friend network or that family network to rely on because you're, you're new to the country. Uh, and that, that was a country where everyone can understand you. Uh, and those sort of things are, are amplified if you move to somewhere like Russia and you don't speak Russian or you don't have family around or you don't have a very strong friend network. Uh, I mean, I, it's now my third year in Russia. Um, but I've got my friend network now. I've got a group of people that I can rely on um, both inside school and outside of school. So I, I am able to deal with it much better than some of the new teachers whose first international experience is coming to Moscow. Uh, and uh, they're, they're the poor souls, they're just not quite prepared for it. Nothing sort of prepares you for what it will actually be like if this is your first time out of the country. And Moscow is a really hard city. I mean, there's 15 million people here. Um, and uh, our school itself is tiny. Uh, there's 72 secondary people, so it's a very small school, very wealthy parents, and unless you've built up a bit of thick skin um, and experience with them before, it can sometimes really get you down. And in, in like small issues, like, oh, I couldn't, you know, two of my kids haven't bought their books today, can suddenly be amplified quite a lot more. Um, because it is such an unfamiliar situation. Absolutely. Um, I, I totally hear you. I was an exchange student um, myself after school in Italy um, when I was 17, and so I, I completely hear you on the, the culture shock and, and just, yeah, the, the language barriers and all of, all of that and the homesickness. That I think it's, unless you've done it, it's hard to really know mm. what to expect. Yeah. Um, mm. But I, and, and the strange ways it manifests itself. Mm. Uh, if you're looking at, uh, I remember one of the best ways that I could deal with um, homesickness was like playing the theme tunes on YouTube of, of television shows from Australia. Um, just little things because you, would, you could turn on the radio and yes, it's all in English and yes, you understand it, but it's not what you recognize as the radio. Um, so you, uh, that was one of the things I just remember. That's how I dealt with it when I was in England, which is 
playing like the, the ABC news intro, like just little <laughs> things like that. Totally. Um, not, not all the time, just every now and then. Yeah. Just to remind me that home did still exist. It, it was it, things that I knew how they operated and how they worked still existed. Um, and if I wanted them, I could still find them. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a brilliant tip. Um, on that note, have you heard the, there's like a techno version of the ABC News theme? Have you heard that? I have. Um, there was, uh, was a very, very famous electro band a few years ago. Yes, I have. I yeah, bought it actually. It's a great, it's um, so good, isn't it? Yeah. And I, it's quite funny in, in the UK because I lived there for a bit longer and I, I now go to the UK more often than I go to Australia. Yeah. They've done the same thing with the BBC News theme. Um, one of the famous comedians, Bill Bailey, did it at the Edinburgh Festival um, on stage, it was, and it's, it's equally fantastic. Oh, cool. Um, I'll look that up. different. Awesome. Mm. Um, well, so now we get to um, what your top tips would be and are for, the, for, you know, early career teachers, first years, you know, second, third years, or equally I think people in just a new school, new situation, what are your tips for them to help them stay happy and healthy and set themselves up for a thriving career? Uh, I'd immediately say for any uh, newly qualified teacher, any teacher who's coming straight out of uni, fresh-faced and optimistic as they are, is is get some sleep. It's just sort of just put it into the schedule, however you do it, eight hours of sleep every night because it will do the world of good to anyone. I I just remember sleeping barely four four hours when I first started teaching because it was – it's you never – tired um uh, like I'd never been so tired before after teaching you know you never realize just how much that exa- that how exhausting that is and so the sleep and exercise as well just are so so important absolutely so, um I get it into routine any any newly qualified teacher I'd say you know put some exercise in there if it's every day or every second day put it in routine and get to bed early. Uh, I'm starting to sound like an old, uh, an older person. No, not at all. That, but definitely, um, uh, again, new, for new teachers, the time management is key. Um, the number of times that I used to stay up till midnight, one or two a.m. doing things that I could have done at school, things that had I known that it would have taken this long, I could have started it earlier. Um, and working on your time management, knowing, of course, that comes with experience as well, knowing how to do or how long it will take to do particular things and using your time as wisely as you can, um, I find is always a, a really big challenge and something to work on as well. Um, if regarding new schools, I always rule of thumb is never tell the kids everything about yourself. Um, keep, keep some professional distance. Uh, I know some teachers go in and using, and kids are sneaky. Kids will find out whatever little details. They will, and they'll um, Google you as well. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yes, check your Facebook or whatever other social media you have and make sure it's private and that the only thing that they can see is your picture. Um, because uh, I remember one of the, this is in my current school, some of the boys in year 12, they didn't. they found me. On Facebook, they could, you couldn't search for me on it, but they found me through another teacher whose settings weren't as strict, and we were tagged in the same post or something. But then, in addition to that, they found the other teacher's 22 or 23-year-old daughter on Facebook, and were looking at her profile, which was completely open. 
uh, and they didn't do anything malicious. They didn't do anything bad. I mean, it, it's on Facebook, so you, of course you've got to expect that everything can be seen by everyone. But it just suddenly reminded me that these connections exist. You know, I've got um, a twelve-year-old brother. I've also got three sisters um, between the ages of, of twenty-two and twelve, uh, and I just think, do I want those bought into my teaching life? Uh, you know, are they fair game for my kids to talk about and so on? And it's that sort of personal connection because these can come up in conversation and kids will remember everything. In fact, we were marking some books the other day and in the back of the one of the kids' English books, uh, wasn't my class, it was someone else's, and, and they had written down all the details about the teacher that they knew um, or answers to questions, things like that, like personal information basically that had been either interrogated out of the teacher or let slip at some point. And you just remember that the kids will remember everything yeah. always. Um, and, and it's such the, a novelty. I mean, they, they you, um, yeah. yeah, they're very inquisitive. Yeah, particularly if you are a foreigner from a different country. Um, they go, oh, my goodness, do they have the internet in Australia? <laughs> so, yes, of course. And we even have electricity on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> um, the, the, those sort of things. And but just trying to keep... A little bit of distance, not so that you're a cold-hearted person who doesn't speak to kids at all, but just so that... The level of professional... Personal information. Yeah. Yeah. Some some teachers I've seen go in and want to be the best friend and will tell them all about their life. And one of the hardest things to deal with is when you teach senior, senior classes, year 12, year 13, where there's only, there's only a few years difference between you and the kids. And especially and when you're suddenly, isolated as well, you know, as you said, you're yeah. in a new place and, you know, you're spending most of your time with with the students, you know, spend more time with the students than you do with your own friends. And of course you're miles and miles away from your, your family. And, um, yeah, yeah. It, it can be easy to be craving that, that deeper connection, but yeah, keeping that level of professionalism. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's, it's so hard to do when they look older than you do. I've, I've still got a student who finished the last year. So he's about 19 now. Um, he still looks about 10 years older than I do. Uh, uh, so it, it's very hard sometimes and when they're doing similar things they're driving, they're, they're going out clubbing um, and they're starting to talk about that it's hard to be drawn in, hard not to be drawn into some of those conversations totally um, so that that's trying to keep the professional distance to be friendly of course but just not too friendly not to overshare absolutely, I think that's brilliant advice um, and you know, I think actually all of your tips, you know, getting enough sleep, getting some exercise, keeping that professional distance and, and the time management, they kind of all work together as well because mm. if you haven't had much sleep, it can be a lot harder to actually manage your time properly. It's hard to be efficient because, you know, you, you're much slower and less productive. So getting enough sleep obviously makes your time management better. But also if you're feeling low and lonely or, you know, isolated and homesick and, and you're also really sleep deprived it can be a lot harder to maintain that level of um i suppose self-awareness and and self-discipline about about keeping some of those details private so i I so agree with you they're wonderful tips the filter is not always there when you are so sleep deprived i just i just remembered i'm not saying anything bad but not being able to deflect those really really inquisitive questions as well as i could have when you're so so exhausted or something else has happened. Uh, one of the situations I was in was the school that I came to Russia to teach at 
uh, was shut down two months after I arrived um, by the government. So like the the whole institution essentially collapsed. Um, and uh, thank goodness there was a sister school, a separate school, but it connected somehow. But we were all, most teachers and nearly all the pupils were moved to this other school and we had to rebuild from scratch. Yeah, um, wow. And yeah, it was a, a very interesting time. Um, I think Russia has prematurely aged me with situations like this. <laughs> I but, can um, imagine. Trying to keep your level of professionalism when... Um, you're teaching in a tiny basement room that floods every second week. Oh, wow. Um, it, uh, when you're sleep deprived and isolated and so on, suddenly becomes just that bit harder. Um, and and I, I doubt this sort of situation I was in would ever be repeated. Um, but it, it is just trying to keep as professional as possible because sometimes you're on a very short fuse in those situations. It, it just takes one kid to go to complain or something and... and suddenly you fire up as a te- as as a teacher yeah and and of course you know the 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 level of professionalism that you have in the in the filter and the um you know your ability to manage the behavior of a class is so integral to yeah. teaching practice and sleep or sleep deprivation can really impact on that as well so yeah um it's perfect advice Absolutely, and particularly that's actually one of the other things I meant to say, some of the challenges, is going into a class of, of completely second language speakers of English or non-native speakers, sometimes it's their third, fourth, or fifth language that they're dealing with, um, and going from classes of 32 or 33 in England down to classes of 10 or 4, um, it's, it's such a different skill set that you you just need to be able to handle and yeah, you, you need someone there to advise you on those sorts of things. And you add all that into the mix, the second language speakers, the tiny classes, the, the whatever other issues that are going on at the time and suddenly it becomes a, ri- a ridiculous idea going into an international school um, because it is just so different. I mean, I, I train to teach... Um, English to the bottom set year sevens um, in a, in huge high schools in Queensland in Brisbane, um, which is very different context. World apart to teaching um, to teaching advanced level history to three super motivated, super intelligent kids um, who have, who if you set fifteen pages of reading will read thirty just in case they need to be prepared for tomorrow. So it, it's just such a world apart, in, and it's got its positives and its negatives, of course. Um, but that's something that you just need to be prepared for. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Is there anything else you want to share? Um, just, yeah, if, if anyone is thinking of international teaching, do try it. It is really, really interesting. You do all sorts of things that you'd never expect to do. Um, you get I mean, to see the world. Absolutely, uh, and you do meet such a strange mix of people from wherever. I mean, I, I teach in Moscow now at a very small school, and we've got about six or seven Australian teachers. Cool. And you end up doing some strange, some very strange things, getting tra- on trains and going for days and days and days off into the middle of nowhere, um, and then getting on a boat and coming back. And it just gives you really, really interesting experiences. And if you do go into this sort of thing and anyone offers you any sort of, um, you know, a place on a trip, go for it. Absolutely go for it because it's those are the sort of memories that will stick with you. I remember I didn't want to go. We went out to Lake Baikal 
in the far east of Russia um, about a year ago now. I didn't want to go at all, um, but I was sort of coat hanging into it, and so I went. And it's one of the most amazing things I've ever done. You know, standing on on the world's largest lake, standing on driving on it in, in a Land Cruiser. Wow! Um, and it's all ice, and you're just thinking, how how can frozen water support the weight of a Land Cruiser with five people in it? But it can, uh, and it, it, it's really interesting. And those sort of things just keep popping up in this situation. Yeah, and so and, and, and I definitely recommend it. Opportunities you would never get in a in a school in Queensland. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's thinking as lovely as, as the state high schools are. Um, flexibility is not one of the big things. If, if you're going in as a, as a teacher of English into a department, there's going to be about eight or nine other teachers in it usually. Um, with tried and tested methods, you, you don't always get the chance to experiment. You don't always get the, the kids who in your classes who are conducive to experimentation or trying something differently. Um, in some some ways, it's like going into battle constantly every day, and so it's um, you get really good at the basics of teaching, but sometimes it's quite difficult to to do something different. I just remember, so it does give much more flexibility, I think, um, more freedom, I think, working in smaller schools, particularly international ones. Yeah. Oh well, that's wonderful. Um, I really like that message too. Of yeah, if you if you want to try something completely different. Have a go at an international school if you want to travel, if you want to go and make some amazing memories. It's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Yes, and, and if you're looking to study in September, please send me a CV. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll put your contact details on the show notes so people can, um, can contact you if they want to, want to work in Russia. Uh, it's, it's one of the funny things I've realised. Some of the best teachers are, are, the, are the ones who have trained to teach um, in Australia, I've found the ones who have done sort of a B.Ed. for secondary school uh, and or who have taught in Australian state and private schools, they just, I've found them to be some of the most adjusted, well, most well-adjusted, um, capable teachers, really. Um, so it's, we, I must say we have a very good teacher training program in Australia. Mm, what a ringing endorsement and very encouraging for all the Aussie pre-service teachers listening too. Yes. Uh, yes, and, and if you are a pre-service teacher, hang in there. <laughs> it's, it is really, really, really difficult, but the rewards are amazing once you get through. What a beautiful place to close the podcast. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. I'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in iTunes and share it with your friends. This really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Don't forget there's also a review competition to celebrate the start of the podcast. So if you leave a review in the iTunes store before the 31st of March 2017, you'll go into the running to win some great prizes. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there.